Yes. You can hear me. Thank you. Responding. Um, tonight is going to be an informal short talk and questions and re more time for questions and response. And um, I have to say, <laughs> I'm not yet used to um, talking to a computer with a lot of little faces on it. But uh, so I'll talk to you guys instead. <laughs> instead. Um, the, the, my, what I want to talk tonight about is 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 both ways, two ways of being in the world. Uh, basically, what I'm talking about is how to how to live in the world in um, a situation that is difficult and um, remain uh, steady and grounded in the deepest part of. Not part, the deepest way that we can, which is in silence and stillness, and hopefully to embody that. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay. okay. And um, the first somewhat, sometimes uncomfortable um, aspect of that is, is surrender. Surrender. Now, how many of us think really about surrendering? It's not something that we um, mostly want to do. But in order to live in a way that can um, respond to difficulty, you have to acknowledge first the way life has come to be. So that entails surrendering. Another way of looking at, at that same thing is that we're not resisting the way things have come to be. So the first way we want to respond to whatever is happening is to acknowledge that that actually is the way things are. We're in a situation where uh, we are at risk, people are at risk, um, we are immobile mostly, and uh, there's a certain amount of fear and anxiety that comes along with that if, if we're not actually really grounded in the depth of what we are. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. Um, I think in a real way, we're all in a monastery, alone, together. That's really the way life is anyway, where we all live our own life. Our whole world, when we come into being, is 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 our conditioning and our lineage and our heritage and so on. And when we die, that complete world dies with us. So strangely, we are now physically um, um, manifesting. We are physically. We have become. <laughs> those, you know, those separate worlds physically cloistered in a certain kind of way. And I would uh, encourage us really to think about it that way if you want to, if you can. And in that way, um, also, as I'm suggesting difficult things, I think, right off the bat, don't waste time 
Don't misunderstand that that actually is what's happening. And use it well. So, for example, um, I was talking to somebody a couple of days ago, and um, I, what I want to say before I start saying that is that is that the world that we are seeing, the way that we are responding to this situation of, of the world, the global pandemic, has everything to do with your own mind. It is thoroughly and totally your own mind, what you are, the way you are responding, the way you are reacting to what is happening here is your own world. So for example, um, this person I was talking to a couple of days ago had to go outside and as they were outside, they wanted to connect with people six feet away, but in a friendly kind of way and people were not responding at all. And this person felt like they were feeling a certain kind of um, anxiety and fear that everybody, a lot of energy of this fear and anxiety and so on and so forth. And um, we talked about it. And pretty soon it was pretty clear that it wasn't really energetic anxiety and fear from other people that was happening. What was actually happening was this particular person in their own family background had um, was not seen, you know, wanted to be connected in that family, but was in a way pushed away, unseen, and kind of rejected. And that's what that person was putting onto that experience. It was actually a mirror of her own mind. So I would suggest um, to you that this kind of cloisteredness that we are in is a really terrific opportunity for two things. One is, is to see clearly this kind of reactivity that we are, to see our mind clearly through that reactivity. And deeper and deeper and deeper, however deep you can go, because you know you guys, we're going to be this way for at least another month, at least. And, and we can do this. Human beings are incredibly resilient. In a certain kind of way, we just have to give up thinking it should be some other kind of way. We now live in a world of pods. <laughs> you know, We live in a pod world. And that's not... It's not a bad thing. It, it's what is going to save the lives of many, many people. So the second really kind of wonderful thing about this pod-like existence is that we can take the time to deepen our own sense of awareness and compassion. We can, we can be in touch more and more with the stillness that is the truth of our life. This stillness manifests in the world as love and compassion and connectedness. You know, so we can take this as an opportunity to sink deeply into that silence. And so I would suggest, you know, take regular time during the day, make a schedule for yourself, 
and take regular time during the day to sit quietly in that silence as deeply as you can because underneath the chattering mind and all around the chattering mind is this silence that you guys know I know that you know it so if we pay less attention to what the chattering mind is comments and telling us and wantings and dislikes and so on and so forth and just sink more deeply into silence and to allow that silence to touch into your heart because you know um, in my experience and I think in everybody's experience what we really want in the depth of our quiet time, you know, is to be deeply intimate with life, with an authentic life. And this intimacy comes from this silence, this stillness, that's where we find it. And that is how we connect. No, that's, we are already connected. That's how we can taste that connection. So I encourage you to understand our situation in that way and use this time really well in both ways. In the way of seeing your mind for what it actually is, in, in a certain kind of way, the cause of suffering, the cause of separation, it manufactures separation with conceptual thought. Look at that deeply. Claim it as your own reactivity. And go deep into how that is structured, how the mind structures that own sense of separation. And then in another way, allow yourself to sink down deeply into the quiet. Find the quiet. And then allow that to manifest as care and love. Because I know um, that all of us, as we hear what's happening in the world, the suffering that's happening and the I know that we all, every single one of us, resonates with a tenderness wanting to help in any way that we can. And the way we can be in touch with the suffering without getting kind of sucked into a kind of a, um, you know, energetic I need to help or a denial of what actually is going on is to settle into that quietude that is the base of our lives. In, um, in our uh, meal chant that we do in the morning and, the, and, and at lunch, there's a line that really struck me. It strikes me every time we do it. It says, 
may we join our hearts to the one heart of the world in awareness and love. It's everything. It's everything. May we join, may each one of us feel down into the heart area and then join that openness, that tenderness. The suffering has made us tender. And join that tenderness to the one heart of the world. Everyone, I think, in the world, unless they're deeply pained and in denial, can't help but feel the suffering that is going on, the difficulty that people are having now, whether it's you know, health, or whether it's financial, or whether it's emotional. And if people are not feeling that kind of thing now, at some point in everybody's life, we will. So we can, we can understand, we, we are that one heart. Everybody wants to be happy, and every, nobody wants to suffer. You know, whether you're, now we can really see right? Whether you're a person of color, whether your economic situation is difficult, whether you're a foreign-born or native-born, whatever your economic status is, all of us share that same heart. Whether it's, you know, whether somebody agrees with me politically or not, that's a little bit more difficult. Same suffering same happiness. All of us can feel that connection. And it's an opportunity. You know, it's funny, I was talking to somebody the other day, and <laughs> each one of us as individuals in our own practice path, we almost never look at anything that's really difficult for us, unless we're kind of smashed, <laughs> you know, until we really suffer. Then it's like, oh yes, that's right. Okay, I have to address this. I really don't want to suffer. Right? And in some kind of parallel way, the whole world, humanity as a whole, is being squished by this suffering. And maybe now, you know, maybe now we as a whole will find a way to connect in a real way as human beings on this earth together. Maybe, 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 may it be so. Maybe we'll really learn something different this time. Maybe our priorities will be clear this time. In uh, a few days ago, I had a, a birthday. I was 76 years old. Seven, six. <laughs> that is a, that is a, well, it's an interesting number in relation to me, <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> so that's like an older person. I am now an older person. But, uh, Officially, I'm officially an older person. <laughs> uh, 
And the interesting thing about it was, in this joyous day, it was, a, it was just a wonderful, lovely, wonderful, joyous day, right there, right next to the joy, was this profound feeling of sadness. You know, we sat down to this wonderful meal, and there was a, we even had a birthday cake manufactured out of, you know, our little um, um, sequestered, you know, monastery that we're in, and just lovely flowers all over the place, and um, many well wishes, and so on and so forth, and right next to it was this profound sadness, and when I sat down to eat our celebratory meal, I was stopped for a moment. I thought, you know, can I really go forward with this? When other people, like many, I think millions of people have left cities in India because they can't have food there, you know? I needed to take them with me They needed to sit with me, because both things are true. Joy, wonderful joy and sadness, profound sadness, both. And we human beings, our life is full of paradox like that. And the way to hold them both is to understand these two ways of um, Two truths. Understand these two truths. You know that everything is empty. Everything is dependently coercive. There is no solid, separate core inside anybody. And at the same time, you know, there's a separate looking human being walking through the world. We have to understand in both of these ways, because that's the truth of it. I wanted to tell you, this is a short story. It's not a story. It's a koan. It's not even a koan. It's a, uh, it's a sentence. <laughs> it's two sentences. It's about, um, it's a story about Marpa and Milarepa. It's a Tibetan story. Marpa is, is in the Kargyu lineage, the lineage that Trungpa Rinpoche was in. Um, they have five main wonderful ancestors that they talk about a lot. Marpa is one of them, Marpa the translator, and Milarepa was the songwriter. Marpa was uh, Milarepa's teacher. And Marpa's son, he, he lost his son. He recently lost his son. And Milarepa goes up to him and sees him crying. And he goes up to him and says, What? Are you, you know, you're telling me about emptiness this, emptiness that, and you're crying? Because your son, you lost your son. I don't understand. And Marpa said, yes, there is only 
I don't he didn't say that. <laughs> that was in the poem. He said, Yes, emptiness, there is the truth of emptiness, the pinnacle rising. That's that's absolutely true. And then he said, through tears, and yet, and yet, this is our life. This is the truth of our life. And my suggestion tonight is, is that we can walk through the and yet, and yet, best with more skill and appropriate response if we come from a place of silence and the understanding of the uh, dependently arisen emptiness of our life, the undercurrent, the underneath, the foundational nothingness that everything arises out of. That's our work. Now, I also have a belief that each one of us, because we can resonate with this suffering, and because we want to respond in the clearest, most helpful way we can, We are the, uh, this is a stretch, <laughs> but I believe it's true. We are each one of us the embodiment of Avalokiteshvara, the bodhisattva that listens to the cries of the world. Are we not? We're all listening, or you wouldn't be listening, or you wouldn't be here. We are all listening to the cries of the world and want to respond. This is the path that we are on. It's the path of a bodhisattva, a person who wants to awaken with everyone, who wants to awaken to be free of our suffering so that we can hold out a hand to whoever needs it. And we do that each in our own way, with as much stillness as we can muster. We do. There is no one here that, has, that is broken. Even if we're ancient, twisted, our karma, nobody is broken. No one has a heart that is broken. Wounded, yes. Covered over, yes. But not broken. I say this a lot, you know, we are asked to be awake. We're not asked, the Buddha didn't tell you to fix yourself. He said, be awake. Here's the story, and then I'm going to read you a quote. The other story is, um, this is a Zen story. And it's about Basso, who was ill. And a monk came to him and said, how are you? <laughs> never ask a teacher how they are. You never know what you're going to get in response. 
So he said, how are you? And, uh, and the um, teacher said, Vasa said, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. Whatever life is, has brought, you're not going to like this, but let me explain. <laughs> Whatever life has brought, however our life have, have come to be, it's okay. First, okay, let me explain. <laughs> First, we have to actually open to how life has come to be. If it's good, that's okay. If it's not so good, that's okay. Suzuki Roshi um, commented on this little story. This is what he's part of what he said. It's a great commentary if you can find it. He said, We should understand our everyday activity in two ways and be able to respond either way without a problem. One way is to understand our life dualistically, good or bad, right or wrong, sick or well. And we should try to understand things in these terms. Also, we should be able to ignore this dualistic understanding. Then, everything is one. That is the other understanding, the understanding of oneness. The sun-faced Buddha is good. The moon-faced Buddha is good. Whatever it is, that is good. All things are Buddha. For all things are life. For all things come to be the way they come to be. And if we deny them, we deny our own life. So first, no resistance and surrender to the way things have come to be. And then settle and open, and then respond with as much clarity and heart as you can muster. This is how we can get through this together, and we will get through this together. This is a quote from uh, Ajahn Shanti. It is now so very important to be dedicated to our inner presence of being and the peace that is always awaiting our attention and acknowledgement, not just for our individual peace of mind, but also for one another. The more we are reminded of the great resiliency that exists within the heart of humanity, the more we can embody, relate, and act from the mystery of love and compassion that resides within us all. Perhaps through encountering this current challenge, we will all be reminded and reoriented toward what truly matters in life. Maybe we will let go of serving what does not contribute to the best of what we can all be. Okay. 
That's tonight's talk. Mm -hmm. Oops. So feel free to unmute yourself if you want to ask a question. I was wondering if, if, if um, we could talk about um, this uh, this attitude or this approach in our practice, you know, we talk a lot about in terms of dana, how we say there's there's no gift, there's no giver, there's no recipient, um, and so um, I'm wondering if we could talk about that in terms of taking care of each other. You know, like is is there a care caretaker? Is there someone who is taken care of? Um, and sometimes this this concept. Um, yeah, is, is a little confusing, and, and sometimes I wonder how like this this embellishes our our ability to give and to receive with each other. Um, what do you mean embellishes? You mean helps? Do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like how does how does this how does this um, help our, our capacity to to receive more and to give more and, and to not more you know in quantity, but just but just the um, the, the, the access to, to that. You know, um, this is a, a, a kind of a variation on, I believe anyway, a question that comes up a lot, which is kind of what I've been talking about tonight. Um, when we say no, you know, giver, receiver, and gift, or one, there, there are different ways of looking at that. You can't have a giver unless there's a receiver. That's one way of looking at it, right? But another way of looking at it is coming from a point of view of this emptiness, that ultimately there is no giver, receiver, a gift. It's just one process that's totally connected. You can't separate any part of that out. Right? It's one whole thing. And for me, um, the thing that helps me the most in this regard, maybe I'm dwelling on this a little bit, is to understand this process, like I told somebody last time I was giving a talk, that we make our best effort and then we have to let go. Right? So we make our best effort when there is somebody ill, a person ill, right? And we can let go when we understand that there's not a separate person there, it's the whole universe that's creating this event. You do the best you can and then you have to let go. You can't do more than the universe is going to let you do, right? Right. So I think in some way, giver, receiver, gift is that same turning. It has that same quality to me. So on the one hand, there definitely is something exchanged, and people are happy to receive. Sometimes it's harder to receive than to give, you know. Right? That's a wonderful exchange. And on the other hand, it's empty because it's just one whole event. Does that make sense to you? Um, it makes it makes sense, and I think what also what I'm hearing is that maybe when there's, I, I think maybe more invested other than I'll do my best and let go, but if there's more invested, like I'm gonna do my best and therefore this result will happen. That it sounds like maybe that's a potential hindrance. 
Yes, that's, yes. One would say, my, standing behind me, I can hear my teachers tell me, that's extra. And it doesn't help. You know, it actually doesn't help. Reminds me of a story about, oh, hi. No, go ahead. It reminds me of a story that Suzuki Roshi said one time. He said this line, we don't clean the room to clean the room. That was a koan for me for years and years and years. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we don't clean the room to clean the room. Maybe, you know, I don't even at this point, I don't even know if that was exactly how he said it anymore. But <laughs> um, that's the gist of it. Because we don't do life by goal. Because if we do life by goal, it's always over there. So it, we, it's not that we can't have a goal. We have an idea that, you know, the room would be nice if the room were clean, right? But we don't attach to that goal. When we're cleaning the room, we're just picking up the broom to, you know, we're just taking the duster, we're just emptying the waste paper basket, we're just doing the next thing as fully as we possibly can. That's this 100% wholehearted activity that Dogen talks about all the time. That's how we live. That's how we live. So you can have a, some idea of you know, progress or goal or whatever, but we don't attach to that because the world may have other ideas. And then if you don't, you know, your goal doesn't happen, you're devastated. But if you have a real deep sense that um, you're holding this goal rightly, even though you make your best effort, if the world changes, you're ready for that change. And maybe something else happens that actually is more creative or a different color happens, you know, that you didn't even think about in the painting, if you're painting. Anyway, it's an important point. Hi. Hi. Um, a lot of conversations that I'm in are about, um, how difficult this is and, um, it is, and it has been really difficult for me, but what I'm finding is that, um, these circumstances and not the, not the bigger crises or the, the, um, that, no, not the disease, but the circumstance I'm in in my life is, um, plays a lot into my ancient twisted karma in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I isolate. I like being alone. And um, I'm a little bit agoraphobic. I'm a little bit misanthropic. Um, and so there's a lot of sort of like, I can feel myself kind of like floating away or disappearing. Um, and starting to sort of you know, people's efforts to connect with me while they are important, and I know they're important, but they're becoming more and more of a, like, challenge for me. I want to float away. I want to disappear into myself and never come back. And so I guess my question is sort of in the big picture, how do we practice when the circumstance of my dog coughing? She's sick. Um, how do we practice when the circumstances um, reinforce our karma, our, our sort of unwholesome or... or karma that we don't necessarily want to reinforce and then specifically how would I practice with the fact that right now I'm alone and I and I'm and it I'm sort of 
closing in. Um, and is there, not, you know, there's the one way to practice where you're dealing with the difficulty of, of what you want to be doing and you're not doing. And I feel like there's something I could be doing to practice with the fact that I almost want more of this. Um, you know, tragedy aside, I, I want to just disappear and never come back. And I was just curious if you could speak to when circumstances kind of, when something like that happens. I'm sorry, what do you mean by disappear and never come back? What does that mean for you? Um, you know, I think, I think I'm a hermit. And I think that it's taken a lot of effort for me in life to not be a hermit. And I live in New York and there's certain, there's a certain challenge that I, I thrive in in that, but I think I am a hermit in a way and I isolate a lot. Um, I'm, a, I'm somebody who isolates a lot. And so I could, if I was like this forever, I don't, I think that I would like that. I mean, I think there's a part of me that would like to, to, to never, never go back into society again. Well, this may be a risky question, but what's the matter with that? Uh, I don't know if there's something the matter with it. It, it. it scares me only because I know I do have to go back into society. Oh, it scares you. Well, why don't you, though, enjoy this time of being alone before you have to go back into society? That's what I would do if I were you. <laughs> I guess my fear is that um, that in some way I'm, I'm like indulging a, a toxic behavior. <laughs> That's really so, that's so sweet. That's so wonderful. Okay, could you could you drop the, your the chattering mind, fear yeah. fear of maybe this or fear of maybe that, and just enjoy this gift that's been given you, and and just stop this not this thing up here. I mean, I just feel like I'm enjoying it so much, and I'm not supposed to. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Aha. Yeah. Yeah, don't go there. I, I, I'm not enjoying the, the fact that people are being harmed, obviously. And I'm yes. not enjoying all of the things that are happening. Well, which okay. In the moment to moment of being alone in my home and going for walks by myself. And I just so I would home. really look carefully at your mind. Look at your mind that is making you miserable in the very situation that you've been wanting for all of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> You should be laughing at this. Yeah. <laughs> <That's funny>. <laughs> <laughs> I know my, my dream came true, and now I don't know what to do with it. I'm exactly. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, really feel into that. I think that's a really interesting thing that, that you're, you can really watch your mind cause you to suffer. Yeah. Fascinating. And when you have time and feel like it a little bit, you know, if you if you if you sat here suffering and you can respond in some way, there are all kinds of things online that you could do in your own time whenever you feel like it to help with whatever I mean, skill. I am, I am doing I, I am doing things to help. Yeah, that's enough. That's enough. That's really enough. And and in in the meantime, go and have and enjoy your time. Have a nice yeah, time. I, I'm not whipping myself, and and that's uncomfortable for me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear what you said? <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> but you know, that's what we do. Whip, whip, whip. You know, I mean, really. If we, ha we have to have some humor with our practice. 
Because when you see, that's the that's what's so great about this cloistering that's happening. People have to. I mean, they, I mean, some people I'm sure are trying desperately to entertain themselves. You know? But those of us who practice, this is a real opportunity. Do not miss this opportunity. Look carefully at what's causing your suffering. Yeah, it's right up here. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. Thank you. So I think I'd like to ask a question, please. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm. Uh, what's coming up in my little pod is that I'm realizing there is no room for fear in my life, and uh, or like uh, I know I'm afraid because like. Few days after I, this whole thing came about, just by the workings of my mind, I made myself faint on the subway and I fell from standing position. I had a black eye for a few weeks, whatever. So I know I'm scared, but um, you know I hear these stories. I had a, like I have these stories in my mind. It's only old people who die. Diana Francis. A colleague of mine died 26 years old. I was like, oh, it can't be for Corona, from Corona. And she says, no, it's Corona. I take it. I, it's just too much for me. So I threw it out. I don't know where I throw it, but, and like not being in touch with my fear makes me a little bit careless or I find myself thinking a little bit in superstitious ways. I go walk my dog. I go buy a bagel. I'm a little bit careful. I mean, I have a mask or something, but um, I do feel I'm disconnected. Uh, I don't know how to connect to this. Like, I'm not saying I want to be afraid every minute of my life, but I want to be feeling it so that, you know, as you say, like when joy arises, joy can be more real, and when there is reason to be afraid, uh, I'm afraid. Uh, how do you how do you know when you're afraid? What happens? Um, I don't know how to answer that. Yes. Um, may I make a, a small suggestion? Please, if it's okay, I would suggest that you uh, spend a little bit of time every day, maybe lying down on your bed and putting your hand where your breath, where you feel your breath the most, mm -hmm. on your chest or maybe your lower belly, maybe, and allow yourself to feel your breath. Just lie there and feel your breath, maybe for a minute, mm -hmm. okay? Just do that, maybe three or four times a day. Just bring your mind down into your body and breath. Mm -hmm. Try that. Yeah, stay in your body as much as you can in the day. Okay? Okay? Because you couldn't tell me how you know about that you're afraid. So it's just a thought. It's not even palpable in your body. You're just here. Mm -hmm. So move from here to your lower belly. Three, four, five times a day for just, you know, five minutes. Lie down, put your hand where you're feeling your breath, 
-hmm. and just lie there and let yourself just feel your breathing for a while. Mm -hmm. See if you can bring this down into your lower belly and relax on the bed. Okay? Okay. Hi. Hello. Hello. Um, Yulen, um, you mentioned in your talk that in these times or in general, when it comes to the good and bad times or sun face Buddha, moon face Buddha, that we want to be um, in a place of stillness and act when there is need to act and be ready. That's kind of what I didn't say it like that, but um, that's what I heard. So I was curious about if you could talk a little bit about this being ready, especially when there's so much anxiety around us or loss and worries. Um, you know, what is how does it look like to have this stillness, to cultivate the stillness that allows us to be ready? That's a wonderful question. That's wonderful. Just the asking of the question is a lot. Um, well, you know, um, you're talking to someone who uh, is is a is a meditator. So I would respond. The first thing I would say is is that I don't know if you sit already meditate. Right? So in when you meditate, uh, especially at the end of an out-breath, if you don't take an in-breath, you just wait, there'll be a gap at the bottom. That's the stillness I'm talking about. It's right down in there. It's a, it's a silent stillness. If you walk in nature, you can feel that presence of nature. It's a stillness. It's a very quiet, quiet stillness. And so the more you sit and allow yourself to sink into that place, it will cultivate itself because that's what you are fundamentally. So the more you become familiar with it, the more it's there. And, and it's very helpful if you notice that your mind is chattering away if you don't engage, you just ignore it. You can label it thinking and come back to your breath. That's the beginning of creating this kind of openness to our true nature, really. I don't know, I don't think I said ready exactly, but you are ready because you're, because you're present and open and so in that way you're ready. So what you're asking then is really how do you how do you cultivate the the ability to stay present to to have your mind here where it belongs. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.